Okay, so we really are in the uh, final corridor of Chumash Bereshis. It's two parshas to go. And <coughs> I think what's very interesting to note about Parshas Vayigash is what it teaches us about how to define the beginning and the end of things. By which I mean, as we know, very often the events of life, while it's still going on, it's very difficult to look back and really understand it or make any sense of it. As long as one is in the middle of the process, one doesn't really have all the pieces. It's only when one sees the whole thing through with hindsight, one is able to see, ah, so now this is the meaning of that, and things become much clearer. But what our Parsha teaches us is that as much as when you're in the middle, you don't fully understand, and you only understand at the end, sometimes what you think is the end isn't the end. It's still the middle. And maybe it's even just the beginning. Which means <clears throat> as much as you've attained some understanding of the particular circle that's been closed, that might be a, a smaller circle within something much bigger. It could be a small wheel within a big wheel, or perhaps more accurately, it could be a small cog, which even as it comes full circle, just gets the bigger wheel moving even a little bit. And what, what I mean by this is <coughs> that there's been much confusion over the last couple of weeks in the sense of where is Yosef and no one knows and why is all this happening and he's a slave in, 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 uh, he's a, he's in prison and the brothers are in distress and, and all of that now breaks open in the beginning of Vayigash because when Yosef says I'm Yosef everything is revealed everything now is understood and Yosef himself proceeds to d discuss things in this very way Whatever happened between us, you sold me, you thought it would lead to a bad outcome, in the end it led to a good outcome. So all's well that ends well, and everyone has a measure of understanding. The only thing is, things haven't ended. From a certain point of view, they're just beginning. Because as much as the interactions with Yosef and the brothers, that's come to a conclusion... And, and the end, in a sense, is, well, there's famine in Canaan, but I'm in a position to, to support the family here, so all's well that ends well. But the very fact that we're all here is the beginning of something else, which is called Golos Mitzrayim. And that hasn't ended at all. It's barely begun. And this is uh, something which the Balea Musar caution us, as much as again, when, when we get to the end of the road, you look back and you see, but sometimes what you think is the end of the road is just a segue into a much bigger road. So you're ending and beginning at the same time, and that's kind of the measure of perspective that uh, we are uh, beckoned or cautioned uh, to have as our realizations and as our epiphanies occur. But be that as it may, <coughs> the beginning, things really do break, um, in the uh, Parshas Vayigash, the tension is broken, the confusion is broken, and uh, Yosef reveals that it's really him to the brothers, and they hurry up to tell Yaakov. And if we take a look at where this happens in Perik Memhei Pasuk Kaf Zion. Memhei Kaf Zion. 
So they say to Yosef, to Yaakov, <coughs> Od Yosef Chai, and uh, he's in he's in Mitzrayim on top of the world, and Pasuk Kafzayin Vayidabru Elav is called Divrei Yosef. They tell Yaakov everything Yosef said. Asher Diber Lehem Vayar Eshagolos he sees the wagons Asher Shalach Yosef Laseso So, which is it's very interesting that the wagons feature so prominently in this amazing moment when Yaakov hears that Yosef is alive. But how does it all, what does it all lead to? Vatechi Ruach Yaakov Avihem. Yaakov's spirits are enlivened. <coughs> and what does this mean? Vatechi Ruach Yaakov Avihem. Rashi comments. And Rashi says, Vatechi Ruach Yaakov, Shar Sa'olav Shechina. Life is not a binary thing. It is a multi-tiered and multi-layered thing. And the higher one is functioning, the more alive one is. And therefore, for, ya- for Yaakov's spirit to be alive in the full sense of the word means shar sa'alav shechina, the divine presence rested on him in the form of nevuah, and ruach hakodesh, all of those levels, shepir shemimeno. It had separated from him all these years. Yaakov was without the Shekhinah, was without Ruach HaKodesh. But now, with the news that Yosef is alive and well, all of that (coughs) returns. And the question, if we may ask, is why did it return? Which really is another way of asking why did it go away in the first place? Why is it that as long as uh, Yosef is in Mitzrayim, Yaakov does not have Ruach HaKodesh, or the Shechina, or or everything that that represents, and when he hears that Yosef is alive, he does. Well, the answer to this question would seem to be very simple. For as we know, (coughs) the Shechina, as the Gemara says in a couple of places, Masech HaShabbos and Daf Lamed, the Divine Presence doesn't rest if a person is uh, sad or in mourning. The Divine Presence only rests with joy. Which means that uh, it's, hard, it's uh, not so hard to appreciate that as long as Yaakov thinks that Yosef is dead, he's in a state of mourning, and that state is not conducive to, personally, to, to the Divine Presence resting upon him. It's only when he hears that Yaakov, that Yosef is alive and now he's in a state of joy again, once again he can commune with a divine presence. That is the, uh, I think, the straightforward understanding of why it went away and when it came back. Mourning and um, jubilation. But there is another explanation as to why the Shekhinah left him all these years and why it came back now. And it's found in the writings of one of the Gedolim from the Beis HaMedrash of the, of the Gon, of the Vilna Gon. And his name is Rabbi Isaac Chover, Rabbi Isaac Isaac Chover. He was a Talmud, not directly of the Gon, a Talmud, I believe, of Rabbi Menachem Mendel of, of uh, Shkolov, <coughs> Rabbi Mendel Mishkolov. And we, he, we have many writings from him, including a Sefer of Droshas. And in his Drosha to Parsha Skolim, Rabbi Isaac Chover says as follows. He makes... Uh, a statement, it's really based on a Gemara, at least the beginning. The relationship <coughs> between Hashem and the Jewish people. One could say, although Lahavdil, but one could say, is analogous to the relationship between the body and the soul. Whereby 
the, the Jewish people are the body, the body Israel. And Hashem is like the soul. I mean, He is the, the absolute spirituality that, that, that connects with that. However, if we continue that analogy just one step further, we appreciate a body doesn't, a soul does not reside in a body if the body is fragmented. A soul resides within a body when the body is one. That's how it is in our experience. And as we then expand this idea outwards, Hashem as, again, quote unquote, the soul of the Jewish people. So when does he reside within the Jewish people? When they're one, not when they're in pieces. Not when they're fragmented. That's what determines the proximity of the divine presence. The more the Jewish people are together, the more that they are one, the more the, their soul, called HaKadosh Baruch Hu, resides among them. The more they are disparate and detached from each other, <coughs> so then a soul does not reside in a body that's in pieces. And this, says Rabbi Isaac Haver, is the reason behind the Shekhinah departing from Yaakov when Yosef was sold. We understood so far that it's a question of Yaakov's own state. Is he in a state of sadness? Is he, is he grieving? Is he happy? But Rabbi Isaacover says it's not about Yaakov's personal uh, emotional state. It's about the state of the Jewish people. As long as Yosef is sold, which means that the, the, those that make up the Jewish people as it is now are currently fragmented, so then Yaakov at their head cannot receive Ruach HaKodesh. He cannot receive Shekhinah because the body Israel is in pieces. And that's what happens when he learns that Yosef is still alive, which, and, and moreover he's been reunited with the brothers. And the tensions significantly have abated and there's been a reconciliation. So now what does that mean? The Jewish people are once again as one. And as such, the Shekhinah can return to Yaakov at their head. So this is his understanding of, of why the Shekhinah went away. When, when Yosef went away, the Shekhinah went away. But, when, but when, the, the, when Yaakov's sons are together, the Shekhinah comes back to Yaakov. And it's interesting to note, along, along these lines, until this time he's been called Yaakov, I believe, the whole time. Except in the very next Pasuk, Pasuk Kafches, Vayomer, Yisrael, he, he's called Yisrael again. Rav, Od Yosef ben Yichai, right? El Chaver Enu, Beterem Amus, he's called Yisrael again. Now, now, what is behind his shift from Yaakov to Yisrael? Again, on a simple level, we know that Yaakov relatively is the lower level. They're, of course, both Yaakov, but Yaakov is the relatively lower level. Yisrael is the relatively higher level. And, and once again, Yaakov graduates into this level called Yisrael due to his state of joy and so on and so forth. But if we recall our discussion from just two or three weeks ago in Parshas Vayishlach, where we saw from the Sefer Akedas Yitzchak as developed by Rabbi Shlomo Fisher, the great Rabbi Shlomo Fisher, 
that the meaning of Yisrael is the Jewish people as comprised of all of the Shvatim together, all of the tribes together. Hashem calls Yaakov Yisrael just before he tells him that Binyamin will be born to complete the 12 tribes. And so once again, this is another a parallel way of understanding why he can't be called Yisrael as long as Yosef is away, because there's not 12 tribes anymore. There's something missing from the Jewish people, so, that, so he can't be Yisrael. On discovering that Yosef is still alive, and once again, we're back with the, with the 12 tribes, he is now called Yisrael. But the basic idea that emerges, on the one hand, when we talk about Yaakov, it's of course very lofty. This is the Madrega of Yaakov Avinu and his level of Shechina. But it's true for the Jewish people in all times. And this is something that we've quoted in the past, the amazing ex- explanation of the Vilna Gaon. And perhaps, again, Rabbi Isaac Chavar, a Talmud from the Beis HaMedrash of the Vilna Gaon, perhaps that one can draw a line uh, between them. <coughs> But commenting on the mitzvah of building a mishkan, ve'asuli mikdash, says the pasuk in Parshas Truma, they'll make for me a mikdash v'shochanti b'socham, and I will dwell among them. And significantly, as the medrash points out, the pasuk doesn't say they'll make for me a mikdash and I will dwell in it. It doesn't say v'shochanti b'socho. It says, V'shochanti b'socham. If they make a mishkan, I will dwell within them. And what does this mean? Says the Vilna Gaon. Really, what causes the, the Shekhinah to, 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 to dwell among the Jewish people is their unity. They're coming together as one. Ideally, for lofty purposes. There is no greater coming together as one for the Jewish people and no loftier purpose than building a Mishkan. Which means, says the Vilna Gaon, when the Jewish people build a Mishkan, maybe, maybe they're looking at the Mishkan. But Hashem is looking at them. Because he focused and unified around this lofty goal So the Jewish people have become one in the highest sense. And when that's true, so then naturally Hashem dwells amongst them. Because when the Jewish people come together, Hashem comes together with them. And what's fascinating is, says the Vilna Gaon, this remains true even if there is no Beis Hamikdash. We may ask, uh, how, how can it be? If there's no Beis HaMikdash, what is there for everyone to be focused in the same way? But they are. Says the Vilna Gaon, this is the reason behind the idea, the halacha, that we always face towards the Beis HaMikdash when we daven. Wherever you are, you face towards the Beis HaMikdash. And What's very significant about that statement, even though we know it's true as the halacha, is that we tend to apply it to a direction per se. We call it the Mizrach. Which way is Mizrach? Well, we ask which way is Mizrach if you're in the Mayrav. Because if you're to the west, then you want to face east, but you're facing Yerushalayim. If you would be in the east, you'd ask, where's the Mayrav? And if you're in the, if you're in the, the south, you'd ask, where's the Tzofen? And in the north, you'd ask, where's the Dorum? So, in a sense, the word Mizrach, as, as a practical term, is not the essential term, because then you miss out on the very profound idea 
that you're facing towards the base of Mikdash. And why is that such a profound idea? Again, one may have understood on a personal level, the base of Mikdash is the holiest place, and that's where you want your tefillahs directed to, Zeshar HaShamayim, uh, etc. But the Vilna Gon says no, or not only that. By, faith, by everyone facing in towards the same place when they daven, they are yet united in prayer. That's a Chiddush. It's only a Chiddush because we probably never think of it in that way. When, we're, when a person faces wherever he faces, it might not occur to him to, to be conscious of the fact that every other Jew who's davening at the moment is facing the same place as I am. We don't think about other Jews davening when we're davening. And of course, you need to focus on your, your davening. Okay, some people will start later, some people will start earlier. It's a, it's a <laughs> collective over time. <coughs> but in the end, the fact that everyone is facing the same place, that's what's so significant about it. The Jewish people are yet united around the place of the, of the Beis HaMikdash, even when the Beis HaMikdash is no longer there, through their tefillahs. And that augurs well for the tefillah to be accepted, because what brings the, Jewish, what brings the divine presence uh, closer to the Jewish people, if not the Jewish people being uh, united. So it's, it's, it's worth a thought. Uh, it, obviously, we need, again, to focus on, on the davening. But even just to take a moment out when a person is, is every other person that's davening at the moment is facing the same, the same place that I am. And, 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 and you're part of the Jewish people, of the, of, of, the, uh, of, the, of the Jewish people at prayer. And indeed, and just to conclude the segment, but of course it's very apropos of the time where, where the Jewish people need the Shekhinah to be close to them and the Jewish people have come together in order to, to, for, for, for that to happen. If, if not consciously, but, that's, but the, the, the Jewish people have come together. And we say in Shabbos Mincha, in a sense, we need to reach that time of the week in order to express certain profound uh, truths. But we say to Hashem, Ata Echad, V'shimcha Echad, you are one, your name is one. Umi Ka'amcha Yisrael, Goyechad Ba'aretz. Who is like your nation Israel? One nation. And Goyechad Ba'aretz, we might think again on a basic level is well there's, there's one of them or they're unique or but Goyachad Ba'aretz means in the same way that Hashem is Echad there's only one of him and he is one so too who is like the Jewish people when they are Goyachad Ba'aretz when they are one when they come together as one there's nothing like them and uh, as so many people have expressed you know during these weeks it, of course it's 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 tragic that tragedy had to bring the Jewish people together, but, but the hope is always that that togetherness will, will stay with them, will outlive everything else in this situation. Um, and, and the Shekhinah should, should remain close with the Jewish people, leading them uh, ever upwards. So <clears throat> these are some comments with regards to uh, the Shekhinah leaving uh, Yaakov when, when the, the Shvatim were disparate and detached and returning when they are united. That's really a, that's a call for the ages. So Yaakov realizes that he needs to go down to Mitzrayim, although many Mepharshim explain that uh, uh, he wasn't planning initially on going down uh, to live there, maybe just to, to see Yosef. His words are, El amos. I will go and see him. But Hashem informs Yaakov that he really is going down because something else is unfolding now. And the, Jew, the Jewish people need to stay in Mitzrayim until further notice. And the, <coughs> the Parsha 
details for us all of those in Yaakov's family who went down to Mitzrayim. And that's in Perik Memvav, from Posuk Ches to Posuk Kafzayin. So that's a good 20 or so psukim telling us exactly who from each family as it goes through. Um, and I'd like to highlight two Parshanut points within this description. And I'll preface by saying that these, the 70 souls who go down with Yaakov to Mitzrayim are really divided into four because they're divided into their mothers, Leah, Rachel, Bilha, and Zilpah. And they are, they are presented as such, four subgroups, each one, each one uh, with their mother. And <coughs> that is all the more reason to see whether the presentations of each of these four groups is, is identical. And if not, we will be wanting to know why not. And so how do we begin? And both of these diyukim are from Meshachachma, and as is his way, firstly to notice these things. I'm wondering how many times can one read Parshas Vayigash and not pay attention to the different presentations. Uh, one really begins to feel that, that you're, you're not learning the same Chumash that, that, that the Meshachachma is, because he's just seeing things that, that, that we're not. But that's Chinuch in itself. Every, in summation, every mother's group is labeled with the words kol nefesh, right? All the souls are such and such in number. For example, let's see a couple of examples so that it's, it's as clear. In Pasuk Tesvav, so we're working now in Perik Memvav. Now in Pasuk Tesvav, which has been describing the uh, family of Leah, so it says... Eile b'nei Leah, Ashi'adali Yaakov b'fadan Aram, etc., etc. Kol nefesh banav u'bnotav shloshim v'shalosh. Right, the the totality of the souls from Leah were thirty-three. Okay, kol nefesh. Similarly, if we go to pasuk kaf beis, which is Rachel, a somewhat uh, briefer pasuk, but Eile pasuk kaf beis Eile b'nei Rachel, Ashi'adali Yaakov. Kol nefesh arba'a asar. So basically, the tally of the number of souls is introduced exactly like that. Kol nefesh. Why is this so significant? Because one of the mothers does not have it. And that's Zilpah. We don't often get to talk about Zilpah and Bilhah, but here she is in the Parsha. And in Pasuk Yudches, so the order is interesting. First Leah, then Zilpah, and then Rachel. Okay, so in Pasuk Yudches, Eile b'nei Zilpah, asher nasan lavanu le'yabito, v'atele des Eile le'yakov, so she bore these for Yaakov, sheishes rei nafesh, 16 souls. Which there are, if you count them, there's 16. The point is, what's missing is the word kol nefesh. And that uh, omission requires our attention. Every other, every other mother is kol nefesh, and, and for Zilpah, it's just sheishes rei nefesh. What is, what is the meaning of this? What's behind it? And Meshachachma asks, and Meshachachma answers. One of the members of the Zilpah family, actually the daughter of Asher, is mentioned in Pasuk Yud Zayin. And she is, of course, the famous Serach. 
Pasuk Yud Zion says, Uvnei Asher, who are the sons of Asher? Yimna v'yishva v'yishvi uvriya v'serach achosam. And, 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 the, and the sister, Serach. <coughs> Serach is an extremely significant person in many of these events. The Chumash only mentions her by name. That is to say, she's Serach, and now you know she's part of the family. But as we know from Masorah, Serach was actually involved in many key events in all of these uh, situations. And she had a Rikos Yamim, because she's alive when they go down to Mitzrayim, she's still alive when they come up. <coughs> what is the first uh, moment of fame for Serach? Is breaking the news or, or, or sharing the news with Yaakov that Yosef is still alive. The brothers were concerned. His Yaakov is, is perhaps uh, frail. He's been in such a, a broken state all of these years. Who knows? You go and tell him that Yosef is alive. The shock itself could, could do all sorts of damage or worse. So how, how do you, even good news has to be communicated carefully in a situation like that. And how did they do it? So the way they did it was that Serach was, was very musical. And she had her lyre or her, her uh, whatever it was, her harp. And she, and she starts playing. And, and, and together with the playing, she starts to kind of sing very softly, Od Yosef Chai. So it wasn't said to Yaakov abruptly in a way that could shock him. But rather he begins to hear strains of this idea. And when he first hears it, he's not even sure he's hearing correctly. But the, he's able to absorb in a, in a way which is uh, not dangerous for him the news to finally when he hears Od Yosef Chai, he's been able to acclimatize to it. That is Serach Bas Osher. And that is the first place where she plays, well, dare we say it, an instrumental role. But it, it continues. Because if, if we fast forward, so to speak, to the, the time when Moshe comes, and he announces himself, or in Hashem's name, that the time has come for the Jewish people to be redeemed from Egypt. And people didn't know what to make of it. I mean, there are signs and wonders, etc., but, I mean, they are in Egypt, and, 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 and they, don't, they don't know how to r- relate to this. However, as we know, there was uh, a certain phrase which was entrusted to certain people, by, first by Yaakov and then by Yosef. That, and that would be the phrase with which the Redeemer would introduce himself. And that phrase is Pakod Yifkod. The double expression of Pakod Yifkod, or as Hashem says, Pakod Pakadati. <coughs> what is the significance of Pakod Yifkod? Uh, that we may need to wait till uh, Parshas Shamos to open up a little bit more. But it's almost like the, the, the code word, so to speak, for the Geula. It's the watchword for Geula. Except almost no one knew this. And the, and the Medrash, Pirkei de Belezer, says that when Moshe came and appeared to the, to the elders of the Jewish people, and they're not sure, and they're discussing and debating and deliberating, and, and they don't know, so they went and they asked Serach. I mean, Serach is, is, has such vast wisdom and experience. So they, so, so they, the, the, they made their way to, to where she was. 
And they said, the son of Amram has arrived, uh, Moshe, he claims to be the redeemer. We don't know what to make of it. And Serach said, tell me exactly what he said, word for word. And they, they reviewed it, and they started with the beginning of the message, Pakot Pakadati. And Sarah said, stop, I've heard enough. Because Sarah was, was perhaps the only remaining person from the original group who knew that Pakot Pakadati would be the way the Geula would begin. And she therefore encouraged them, this really is, is, the, is the one, and, uh, and from there they moved forward. So once again, we see Sarah placed... In this way, she has knowledge, she has information, and she's able to advise people. And in the end, amazingly, she even advised Moshe Rabbeinu himself a year later concerning a certain matter. <coughs> when the time comes for Bnei Yisrael to leave Mitzrayim, so as we know, Moshe, uh, Yosef adjured his uh, brothers, and they, their descendants, to take him with them when they would leave. The problem was, Yosef was in an iron coffin at the bottom of the Nile. And that's a problem, because they're going and no one knows where he is. As Mepharshim explained, Paro had discontinued or disallowed any contact with Yosef's coffin in order just to completely, this is part of not recognizing Yosef. If you don't recognize Yosef's contribution to your country, you do not take kindly to people making pilgrimages to his, to, to his gravesite. And therefore it fell into, uh, people no longer knew where Yosef was. You had generations and, and they didn't know. But one person knew. And the Gemara in Sota and Dafyud Gimel, the end of the first parak, says that when Moshe wants to make good on his uh, on the oath that his uh, ancestors took to, to Yosef to take him with, he went to Sarah and says, I'm looking for Yosef. Where is she? Sarah's the only one who Because <coughs> she's the only one who'd ever visited him who was still alive. And she directed Moshe to where Yosef was. And from there, you have the famous Ali Shur. He was able to bring Yosef up and then bring him out of Mitzrayim. So Sarah is, is really, there's, there's uh, amazing things surround her. She is the advisor for all matters redemptive. But what do we know about Sarah? <coughs> there is a very interesting comment of the Ramban in Parshas Pinchas. And there are other sources to this effect also, even though it's, it's, a, um, it's, a, it's a debated matter. But the Ramban states that Sarah was not Usher's actual daughter. Rather, Usher's wife <coughs> already had Sarah <coughs> as a baby, from a different marriage. So, so Sarah was Asher's stepdaughter. The Ramban refers to Targum Unculus. And now this itself becomes debated. What is the, the authentic uh, Girsa uh, uh, text in Unculus? But the, the text of Targum Unculus in Parshas Pinchas, which says that the, the name of Asher's daughter is Sarah, Unculus translates as the name of Asher's wife's daughter was Sarah. And, and for him, that, that support that it's not Usher's daughter itself. Very interesting. Of course, she's one of the family. And dare we say, she earned her stripes in, as, part of the Jew, as part of the Jewish people. But she's not a natural descendant of Usher. And this, says Meshachachma, coming back to our opening question, which was, why is it that with the other mothers, when we have the tally of all of the uh, children, it says, kol nefesh, kol nefesh, all the souls, but when it comes to Zilpah, it doesn't say all the souls. 
says Meshachachma, now you know why, because not every single one of those souls was from Zilpah. Serach was the daughter of Asher's wife, but was not the daughter of Asher. So she's part, again, part of the family, fully, but the word kol is missing. The souls are from Serach. And, uh, and that is how Meshachachma um, explains again the, 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 the turn of phrase. Uh, how does Unculus know? Unculus knows things. He's, he has Mesorahs, he's a Talmud of Rabbi Lezer and Rabbi Yeshua, uh, among other things. So this is the first diuk. Again, so we're going through the psukim. I think when, when we get to names, we, our level of vigilance perhaps diminishes. But uh, if you're the Meshachachma, there is no such thing as your level of vigilance diminishing. So the kol nefesh is missing, and that's his explanation why, because Serach is, is, is the adopted daughter or the, or the stepdaughter, not the natural daughter. From there, we move to another anomaly within these names. It's, it's, it's nothing less than chinuch as to, as to how to pay attention to detail in the psukim. With all of the mothers, again, there's four, there's four groups because the, 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 the children of each of the mothers, the term uh, yalda or vateled is used, not surprisingly, that she bore to Yaakov, that she bore to Yaakov. So, for example, with Leah, back again to pasuk tesvav, uh, it says, Asher These are the, 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 the children of Leah that she bore to Yaakov. Okay? Same for Zilpah in Pasuk Yudches, which is the Pasuk we saw again. It says, Vateled es Eile Liyakov. Right? Eile bene Zilpah, Ashenasan Lalaver. Vateled es Eile Liyakov. She bore these to Yaakov. And likewise with Bilha in Pasuk Kafe, Vateled es Eile Liyakov. So you have. Each of those three being described as bearing their children to Yaakov, either Asher Yolda or Batelet. What's the exception? Rachel. If we look in Pasuk Kafbeis, as, as it uh, summarizes the, 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 the sons of Rachel, it says, Eilebene Rachel, Asher Yulad Liyakov, who were born to Yaakov. Nefesh Asar 14. And once again, Shinoize Omer Darsheni. This anomaly with three of the four mothers, it says she bore them. Right? She bore them. Yalda or Vatelet. When it comes to Rachel, it doesn't say Yalda, it says Asher Yulad. They're Rachel's children who were born to Yaakov. Well, if they're Rachel's children who are born to Yaakov, doesn't that mean that Rachel was the one who bore them? And, and why would it therefore not just say either Yalda or Vateled, as it did with the other three? Says Meshachachma again. And here we see in the nuances uh, of, the, of the phraseology of the psukim, we see allusions to things that the Gemara will explicate to a much greater degree, based on Mesorahs and, and other things. <coughs> the Gemara states in Maseches Brachas and Daf Samach, or Samach Aleph, that Leah, who had already had six sons, was then expecting for the seventh time. And moreover, Rachel was expecting at the same time. The problem, quote-unquote, was that Leah was actually expecting a boy and Rachel was expecting a girl. And 
Leia at this point felt very badly because she had six sons, Bil, six Shvatim, Bilha and Zilp had two Shvatim each. So there's only two left. If Leia will have another son, that will have Rochel as having only one, less than everyone. And the Gemara says, although the Gemara cautions one should not really try this at home or anywhere, but Leia davened that something should happen, that, 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 that Rochel should get the boy, and, 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 and she'll take the girl, and then, and then it will all work out. And the Gemara says her prayers were answered, and the embryos were switched. And the way that the Targumianus of Benazil explains <coughs> is that they were actually exchanged one for the other. So this was the very first uh, embryonic uh, transplant. They were teleported, however uh, one would uh, describe it, Derech Neis. And that was the background to the birth of Yosef and of Dina. <coughs> and what does this mean for us? It means that with regards to Yosef, his, his full birth was a collaboration of two mothers because he was conceived <coughs> initially by Leah. But then, but then he was entered the world from Rachel. And without going into details, because it's a discussion that we've had on other occasions, there are potential ramifications from, from this discussion to a question which is quite prevalent in our time, because we know that it is possible for, now scientifically, uh, <coughs> done, that the baby begins with one mother, but then is carried to term by another mother. Who's the mother? Either way. <coughs> so, so Yosef was conceived by Leah, but then moved to Rachel, carried to term by Rachel, and, and, and born by Rachel. The converse is true for Dina. She was conceived by Rachel, and then carried to term by Leah. So that's very interesting. By the way, says Meshachachma in last week's Parsha, pardon me, two weeks ago, in Parsha's Vayeshev, this will explain to us, again, the attention to detail. When Yehuda tells the brothers that instead of killing Yosef or just leaving him to rot in the pit, maybe they should sell him to Mitzrayim so that the, at least there he'll survive, but he'll be out of the way. Let us not cast our hand against him. He's our brother. He's our flesh. Says Meshachachba, how is he your flesh? Because he's your brother. So why do you say Achinu Bissarenu? He's Achino. He's your brother. Uh, Bissarenu doesn't seem to be saying anything more than Achino. He's only your flesh. He's not really your flesh. I mean, he's your brother. He's your blood relative. He's your flesh relative because, because he's your brother. So what does Bissarenu add to Achino? But actually, says Meshachachma, it does add. Because Ach, generally, in the Chumash, as the Gemara states in Masechus Yuvamas, <coughs> the word Ach generally will, will at the very least denote a paternal brother. Right? They have the same father in common. So all of Yaakov's sons, for example, are Achim in, the, in that respect. They don't all share the same mother. But Bissarenu, what does Bissarenu denote? There is a Mishnah in, uh, uh, in Arachin, I believe. The, Mish, the Mishnah talks about, or Adios, the Mishnah talks about the various 
materials that are given to the child from the father and from the mother. And what does the father give? The father gives the bones and the sinews and the nails, etc. And what does the mother give? The blood and the flesh. So what does Bisarenu mean? Achinu means our brother from the same father. Bisarenu means our brother from the same mother. That's why, and the Vilna Gaon says similarly, that's why when, when Chava is created or, or formed or fashioned, so what does Adam say? Vayomer Adam, Zos Hapam, on this one occasion, Etzem Meyatsamai, Uvasar Mibisari. This is the only occasion where both the bones and the flesh are coming from the same person because Chava came entirely from Adam. In the future, it will take two. One to provide the etzem, one to provide the basar, barring cloning. So, achinu <coughs> bisarenu means our, our, father, our, our brother from the father, our brother from the mother. The only problem is, who's talking? Yehuda's talking. But Yehuda's, a, is, Yehuda's mother is Leah. So how can Yehuda say about, about Yosef, bisarenu? He's our brother from the mother. He's, they don't have the same mother. Yehuda is from Leah. Yosef is from Rocham. But according to the, to the Gemara, as explained by the, elaborated upon by the Targum Yonason, you understand why he says Bissarenu. Because from a certain point of view, they do share, share the same mother. They were both conceived by the same mother, both by Leah. So just to see how this idea goes through the partios and the, the, the uh, precision of, uh, of phraseology, etc. But what does this mean for us? Says Meshachachma, the Gemara states, in Maseches Nidon, Daf Lamed Aleph, that whenever you talk about a woman and you say Yalda, that she bore, in the full sense of the word, it's the entire process. Not surprisingly, meaning from conception to birth. Here, the Torah didn't say Yalda with regards to Rachel, and now we know why. Because the full process in terms of her children did not happen to Rachel. The beginning of the process for Yosef was from Leah. And therefore, as much as fundamentally Yosef is Rachel's son, but because the process was not completely generated by Rachel, instead of laying the emphasis on her and saying Yolda, as it did with the other mothers, it says Yulat Yaakov was born to Yaakov. And you get the picture. She is, Yosef is the son of Rachel, born to Yaakov, because uh, <coughs> part of the process was actually done by Leah. So once again, the, 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 these such subtle shifts, Yalda, Yulad, and everything that comes out. What was interesting is, I was curious, because as we said before, as surely as Yosef was not born entirely from Rachel because he was conceived by Leah, well, Dina wasn't born entirely from Leah because she was conceived by Rachel. But what the Pasuk does say Yalda with regards to Leah. But how can it say that? Dina is also mentioned in the Pasuk. So I went back to the Pasuk, which is Pasuk Tes Vav. And with this, we'll conclude our, uh, this segment of the, of the discussion. Pasuk Tes Vav. Eile b'nei Leah. It's mentioned all of the Shvatim. <coughs> Asher Yalda. So we have that term Yalda. Sounds like she did everything. And Dina, his daughter. Which is very interesting. I mean, Dina is his daughter, but they're also his sons. 
and, and they're Leia's sons, but this is also Leia's daughter. But you see, the Pasuk prizes them apart. When it, when, when it mentions all of the, these, these six brothers, Reuben, Shimon, Levi, Huda, it says Yolda for Yaakov. It does mention Dina together, because in the end, she was born from Leah. But the term Yolda is not mentioned with regards to Dina. Dina is called Bito. Once again, the emphasis now shifts to Yaakov as his daughter from both uh, Rachel and Leah together, so to speak, conceived by Rachel and born by Leah. So these are, as we see very often, what we would consider small questions are really sitting on top of big ideas and, uh, and, and uh, big chidushim, uh, and, and who better to expose them uh, in his own inimitable way than Meshachachma. From there, I'd like to, to come back to the beginning of Perik Memvav, to Hashem's message to Yaakov upon going down to Mitzrayim. And that's in Perik Memvav, Pasuk Gimel. Vayomer, okay, Perik Memvav, Pasuk Gimel. Hashem says to Yaakov, Anochi hakel elokei avicha, do not be afraid of going down to Egypt. I'll make you into a great nation. So Hashem says to Yaakov, don't be afraid to go down to Mitzrayim. Um, you tell a person not to be afraid when they are afraid. If Hashem is telling Yaakov, don't be afraid, it means Yaakov is afraid. Why is Yaakov afraid? Well, any number of reasons. But the Beis HaLevi says the, the significant fear of Yaakov is that the entire distinct and special family that he's worked to, to develop as Avram, Yitzhak, and then Yaakov could just disappear, could just disintegrate. They could dissolve against, against the, the, the broader Egyptian nation. And Yaakov, is, he is afraid. But then Hashem says, don't be afraid. But why not? So obviously, Hashem's assurance. But Pasuk Dalet, <coughs> Hashem says further, Anochi eredim cha Mitzrayim, I will come down with you to Mitzrayim. V'anochi alcha gamalo, and I will rise up with you, gamalo, rising up. Interesting expression. Alcha gamalo. And that's why you shouldn't be afraid. <coughs> because I'll go down with you to Egypt, and I'll come up with you to, from Egypt. And what does that mean? for Hashem to go down with Yaakov and to come up with Yaakov. Well, on a simple level, it means to protect him. He'll accompany him to, to protect him and, and keep the Jewish people intact. But the Beis HaLevi explains differently. Beis HaLevi says that the concept of Hashem um, ascending or descending, where Hashem is, is infinite, means people's recognition the world's recognition of Hashem rises or falls. That's what it means for Hashem to go down or to go up. It means as recognized by the world. Are people God aware or not? And with this promise, Hashem vouchsafed to ya- or pledged to Yaakov something profound in the extreme. Hashem is saying to, to Yaakov, the, the goal of the world is only fulfilled if, if, if its inhabitants recognize its creator. But when you go down, I will go down. And when you go up, I'll go up. And what that means is, Hashem has pledged. Do you, do you want to know why the Jewish people will never disappear? 
because the world needs to be aware of its creator. And I'm telling you now, that awareness will only ever come through the experiences of the Jewish people. When the Jewish people are at a low, so I will also be at a low. And people will say, well, where is God? And when the Jewish people are at a high, that's when, that's when I will also be elevated, so to speak. And, we, and, and the Pesukim speak in this way of Hashem being elevated. That's what it means. Ascending in the sense of being, being uni- universally recognized, which was what the world needs in order to function meaningfully. And that is tied to the destiny of the Jewish people. In one sentence, what Hashem is saying to Yaakov is, I, I will allow the world to recognize me specifically through the success of the Jewish people. There is no greater promise than that. Because the Jewish people cannot disappear now. Because Hashem has has attached his name to them. If they disappear, so to speak, his name disappears. That's impossible. And that's the promise to Yaakov. (coughs) I'm mindful. There is a a commentary of Rabbeinu Yonah on the rift to Maseches Brochus. Talmidi Rabbeinu Yonah, what's called. And in the fifth parak, he quotes a posuk in Yeshaya. And the posuk says, I believe some of it is uh, familiar, the concept... Indeed, you are a hiding God. Deus absconditus. Indeed, you are a hiding God. And then the Pasuk says, Eloke Israel Moshia, the God of Israel saves. What is, how does. How is the, there a, a syntactical flow? What's the thematic flow of this pasuk? You're hiding God, the God of Israel saves. Says Rabbeinu Yonah, what it means is, as a rule, God is hidden within the world. He doesn't uh, do things out of the ordinary until and unless it comes to the salvation of the Jewish people. And then he breaks with the uh, designation of Kel Mistater and, and emerges from hiding, so to speak, in order to save the Jewish people. And, and, and what does that mean? <coughs> it means that the Jewish people are often saved in a way that cannot be explained by anything other than their, their God is protecting them. And, and that is God appearing to the world through the salvation of the Jewish people. So when they have lows, it's a low for, for all, for them and for him. But... But Anochi Aalcha Gam Alo, I will bring you up and, and rise up together with you. Aalcha Gam Alo. And this is the promise to Yaakov, and it remains a promise to the Jewish people for all time. That's why we say, um, we, 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 we always talk about Asay Laman Chavahoshienu. Act for your sake and save us. But, 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 but why, why is saving us for Hashem's sake? It's this point, because Hashem has twinned and has joined his name, so to speak, and a a recognition of him in the world to the Jewish people. So if we have no other merit, we we ask at the very least for for recognition of your name, for awareness of of you in the world. Save us, if if only for that. And that's why we say, Hashem asay laman shemecha. Right, Kerach and Shemecha, Shemecha, your name is known by us. So I say Laman Shemecha, because your your name emerges through us. So in order, at least if, if only for your name, and again by Hashem's name we mean that the world should know and recognize and be able to leave 
lead meaningful and elevated and, and God-informed lives. And in fact, I think this will explain to us one other thing. It's, it's a, a most profound idea. And, and, and as we survey the history of the Jewish people with their highs and their lows, and, and the lows of the Jewish people are unbearably low, and then their highs are stunningly high. And as, as we say, Ein Mazal Yisrael, as Rav Soloveitchik used to explain, Mazal, from the word Nozel, is how things flow from each other. Nozel means to flow. And Mazal is a flow. It's a flow of events. It's a flow of how one thing leads to another. And for most other nations, it's, it is more or less uh, a pattern than for the Jewish people. There's no pattern. Things don't flow for the Jewish people the way they do for everyone else. They're either up there or they're down there. and It's, it's based on something else. And where does this come from? This idea that Hashem has joined his name to the Jewish people inexorably. Well, it's chusavos. In other words, this is more than anything else, if one, if one could say, or among the great achievements of what the Ovis achieved for the, for, you know, have for the Jewish people, is that they caused Hashem to associate His name in such an exclusive way with the Jewish people, and this will give us insight into something that we say. Every day. And some people saw it as something of a, of a contradiction or perceive a seeming contradiction within it. In the end of the first uh, bracha of Shemona Asrei, how does it conclude? So we say, <coughs> you, you remember the kindness of the fathers. And you bring the... the, the the Redeemer, for their descendants, Leman Shemo, for the sake of your name. The tour asked this question, namely, which is it? What is the cause of the Geula? We begin by saying, You remember the kindness of the Ovis. Sounds like what will bring the Geula is the kindness of the Ovis. Is this is what we call Zchus Ovis? Okay, so be it. We accept. But then the, but then the, set, the bracha concludes, Leman <coughs> Shemo, for the sake of your name. That's a different dynamic, seemingly. So which is it? Is it Chaste Avos that brings about the Geula, that provides the, the impetus for the Geula, or is it Leman Shemo? The Tur asks this question, the Akedas Yitzhak asks this question, the Vilna Gon deals with it, as do others. But perhaps one might suggest, <coughs> based on, on our discussion, that these are not two separate things. In the end, Hashem brings the Geula for the sake of his name. The only question is, what's the sake of his name got to do with redeeming the Jewish people? The answer is, because he has paired his name together with them. Based on what? Chaste Ovos. In other words, the outstanding merits of the Ovos, of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, is what led Hashem to attach his name to us. Once that's happened, so when he acts for the sake of his name, he will act for the sake of the Jewish people, what we call Umevigo El. And that, I believe, is the resolution, the, the harmonization 
of those two elements that are mentioned. They're not two competing ideas. They're not even two different ideas. One leads to the other. Chasti Ovos leads to our relationship with Hashem, where when he acts Laman Shemo, he acts for us. And perhaps we'll conclude, and it, it's <coughs> important to mention, the, the Megale Amukos, Reb Nosson Shapira, he, he, uh, when we say Umevigo El, we're really back to where we started in the beginning of Parshas Vayigash. We never know if we're at the beginning, the middle, or the end. We think something has culminated, uh, but we don't realize that it's maybe just something else is now beginning, much bigger. Or we think we're just in, we think things are ended and we don't realize that something else is now able to be set in motion. What that means is, maybe Goel is said in the, in the present tense. Not that Hashem will, will bring the Geula. He, he brings the Geula. And what that means is everything that the Jewish people experience in ways that are, are unfathomable and impossible to, to really understand, <coughs> all of the experience that, that take place within the Golos is actually part of bringing the Geula. Because whatever was wrong, whatever was deficient within the Jewish people that led them into Golis in the first place, is being repaired through the experiences of, of Golis. <coughs> so that, uh, even on an ongoing basis, Umevi Goel, and the Jewish people have said this for thousands of years, Umevi Goel, for, uh, for, since the Anshik Nesagadola, on an ongoing basis, whatever will be happening in its time, it, it, it could be like a tsara, and maybe it is. We'd for sure classify it like that. But in, but in the broader scheme of things, which we're not yet at the end of, it's mevi goal. As Megala Bukas points out, the word mevi <coughs> is comprised of the four letters. Mem, base, yud, aleph. That's the four exiles. Madai, bovel, yavon, and Edom. Umevi Goel means that through all of those exiles, and at the time it's very dark and it's very, uh, it's very difficult, it's very distressing, more than, more than that. And yet, in the, in, in the ultimate scheme of things, all of these things are part of the Geula uh, in ways that uh, we need to finally, finally reach the Geula in order to understand. We hope that we will reach that time soon, and we hope that, that uh, we should not need uh, the difficulties in order to bring about the, uh, the tikkunim. And the more that we do for, for Hashem's name to be recognized and the, the pride of the Jewish people to be raised as Hashem's people together, the more we can look forward to Hashem moving from Kelmas Tater to Elokei Yisrael Moshiach. He should send Yeshuas to the Jewish people, Bekarov, uh, Yeshua's Gemuros, Ateres Nitzachem, and we should all be Zochet to the Geula Shalema, Bimeheria, Biamena.